James says in chapter 5, verse 1. He says, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and the corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasures in the last days. This is kind of a challenging portion, isn't it? It's kind of, um, it's not one that you particularly look forward to preaching as a preacher. <laughs> but this, yeah, James is kind of like, he's, he's addressing these friends of his, really like an Old Testament prophet, and he's kind of saying some strong things to them as he uh, brings this to his friends. And um, I would like to look at these three verses this morning, and I believe they can be incredibly encouraging to us as we let the Holy Spirit come and minister to us. Remember, James is writing to his friends. He's writing to a bunch of people that uh, have been scattered all across the Mediterranean basin. They're discouraged, and so he's trying to encourage them. But the way that he chooses to encourage them is quite direct and quite strong. And he said a number of things as you've been with us over the last couple of years and we've been doing this study. He's, um, he's been trying to encourage his friends to remain unstained from the world. He's talked about not having a kind of duplicity, being in love with the world on the one hand and trying to walk as a Christian on the other. And so he's urged them. He said a number of things. And in chapter 4, we looked at a couple of these things. He said, don't fight and quarrel. The first three verses of chapter 4. He says, why do you fight and quarrel? Why is there bickering in the church? And he kind of addresses that with them. He says, um, out of that, he says, don't defame each other. Don't slander. Don't let there be gossip coming out of your mouth. That's not a pure and holy thing. And uh, verse 11 and 12, we looked at that. And then he looked at humility and he said, we, you know, if we're going to be people in the church that love God passionately and love each other, then there's a humility that needs to come. And that beautiful verse that said, God uh, exalts those that are humble, that choose to humble themselves. And we had a look at that. And that God loves humility and he responds to humility. And all of those things that we looked at in chapter 4, I said to you, are God's way of encouraging us not to walk in the flesh, but to walk by the Spirit. There's different ways you can look at it. Not to remain babies in Christ, but to grow up and to be those that are mature in Christ. Uh, So not to walk by the flesh, but to walk by the Spirit. And now he turns to another practical issue, and he starts to talk about our attitude towards money. And he talks about our attitudes and the misuse that we sometimes have in terms of Money And he's already, he's already started in chapter 1, in verse 9. He already, right in the first chapter, introduced this thing of the rich. And he said, Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. That was chapter 1, verse 9. And we had a look at that, what James meant by that. What I'd like to just do is connect this first couple of verses in chapter 5 to what we looked at last week. Remember last week I looked at those verses that said... Um, Don't be presumptuous about how you live. Don't presume that you can just say, I'm going to go here this year, and I'm going to go there next year, I'm going to make money here. And and what James was trying to say to his friends, saved people, was don't be presumptuous about how you would presume to live. In our hearts, there needs to be a complete humility saying, God, every area of my life, where I live, where I walk, work, what I choose to do is under your hand. It's under your sovereign hand. You lead me. You guide me. And remember I said, um, the verse in chapter 4 that we looked at said, you are but just a mist and a vapor. You're like a puff of smoke. Your life is like that in eternity. But what I said was, if we admit that to ourselves, 
and we allow God to, to harness our, our lives like steam is harnessed by a machine, by an, a motor, then it becomes incredibly powerful what God can do through us. But it starts with that humility of saying, God, without you, my life is just a puff of smoke. But won't you take me? Won't you use me so that I can be effective for your kingdom? So the connection is this, that obviously the people that he's talking to in chapter 4 are the same people he's talking to in chapter 5. Why do I say that? Because he said last, I said last week, he said, don't be presumptuous about where you're going to live. Poor people don't have any option where they're going to live. I've been to the slums outside Nairobi. When you are poor, you don't have any option to say, I'm going to choose to live here this year and I'm going to choose to live there next year. He's talking to people that already have a little bit of money. Uh, I want to say straight up, he's talking to people like you and me. He's talking to people that have options with their lives. You might say, he's talking to the rich and I'm not rich. I want to say to you, we are all rich. Every single one of us sitting in this room is rich. All of us have a roof over our heads. All of us have food on the table. All of us have clothes to wear. I want to give you some statistics just to remind you how rich you are and how rich I am. If you can change your clothes every day of the week, you are in the top 5% of the richest people in the world. (laughs) But we all feel that we're not rich, don't we? But we are incredibly privileged and rich. And so... James starts, and he's addressing his friends. And listen to his language. He says, come now, you rich, my friends. He's trying to get them to think and ponder on some things. So the question is this. Why is he just addressing the rich? Is he being unfair? Is he targeting just a specific group of people? Or is he talking to everyone who's wealthy anywhere? And why does he address the rich? And why does he say these things to them? Well, I want to give you three reasons why I think he does. And the first reason is this. It's an issue of financial security. What do I mean by that? Well, he is warning everyone that wants to be rich. He's trying to get the attention of everybody who wants to be rich. And I want to put it to you this morning that all of us want to be rich, me included. I'm not preaching at anyone this morning. You see, the problem of financial security is a basic human, it's part of our human nature, and it's part of what motivates us. All of us want to be financially secure. We want to know something of what is going to happen. And like I said to you last week, though, God says, I've got a plan for you, and sometimes you have that by the prophetic word. He intervenes and tells something of the, the prophetic plan he has for you, but he never gives you all the details, does he? And that's what I tried to say last week. We want all the details in advance. God never gives us the details in advance. He just says, my grace is sufficient for you today, and my grace will be sufficient for you tomorrow. And so this issue of financial security is a basic, basic issue that James is trying to get us to look at. And I want to say this to you. This is the thing about financial security. All of us think that if we just had a little bit more, then we would be happy and secure. (laughs) That's the thing. We all think, if I just had a little bit more, I would be happy. And so you might earn 3,000 pounds a month, and you might think, if I just could earn 5,000 pounds a month, then I would be happy, and I would be secure. I know I would. If I could just make five grand a month, I would be happy. I would be secure. My friend, do you know what happens when you start earning five grand a month? 
your lifestyle changes, and then you say, if only I could earn 7,000 pounds a month, I would be happy. I would be so happy. I would be so secure. I would have everything that I needed. And when you get to 7,000 pounds a month, what's happened? Your lifestyle has just gone up, and then you say, God, I need 10 grand a month, please, 10,000 pounds a month, and then I would be financially secure. You see, this is a very basic human need and problem. And this is what James is addressing. We all need food and clothing. We all need financial security. We all need sexual fulfillment. We all need relationship. These are basic human things. The temptation is... The desire to be rich is something that all of us have to face. Every single one of us. You see, and God knows what we need. God knows that we need to eat and sleep and have clothes and all those things. And so we're tempted to think this. Every time there's an opportunity to make money, we're tempted to think this. God wants to bless me. It must be from God. And we fall into this trap that we think every time there's an opportunity to make more money, it must be from God. Well, I want to say to you, sometimes I think we can attribute things to God that are purely our own desire, our own needs, and our own greed for more that are not necessarily from Him. So what I'm trying to say to you this morning is that I think James is saying, he's trying to address those that aspire to be middle class. Those that aspire to be increasingly middle class. This is the wonder of the gospel. The gospel is first good news to the poor. That's what Jesus said. He said, I've come. It's good news to the poor. There's a special place and a special thing that the gospel offers to those that are poor. But here's the paradox. As soon as people become Christians, there's something that God does inside of all of our hearts, and we want to improve ourselves. We want to improve ourselves economically, educationally, We want to improve ourselves socially, and that's a good thing. But can you see the dilemma that we have as Christians? God comes, we are saved, and then we want the Holy Spirit starts to move in us and transform us, and we want to do more. We want to become more, and we have to learn to handle that particular desire and emotion in our lives. If you've read anything of of church history, you'll see wherever the gospel is preached— In any area of the world, what follows the preaching of the gospel are hospitals, schools, and education. That's what follows the gospel. Go and read some history. It is an, it's a fruit of the gospel. When God transforms people, those things come. The temptation then for all of us is that we aspire to become more and more middle class, and we all have a desire for more, for more, for more. So James is speaking to to all of us. He's speaking to those of us that already have some money. And he's saying, those of us that have some money, we face some unique temptations. What did did, um, Jesus say in Mark chapter 10, verse 24? He said this. He said, it's difficult for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Do you think he was talking about being saved? Is he saying it's, it's, uh, it's difficult for a rich man, a middle-class person, to be saved? No, no, he's not saying that at all. Jesus wasn't saying that. It's easy to be saved. All you have to do is believe by faith on the name of Jesus, and you are saved. Whether you are poor, rich, or mega-wealthy, it's the same for everyone. What is he trying to say then when he says it's difficult for the rich to inherit the kingdom? He means this. He means to become a friend of God. He means... 
to um, enjoy intimacy with God. It means to enjoy your inheritance that God has for you as a Christian is more difficult for those that are rich. And there are specific reasons for that. And to simplify it right down to a very simple concept, I would say this. All of us that have some money face a very special temptation. And that is that we think that everything that happens on this earth and every material thing that we enjoy and every material blessing that we have, we, sit, we are tempted to think that life is just about those things. That's the temptation that you and I have to overcome. That's what James is saying. And so here I want to put three things to you. All of us face this, this temptation. One, to trust our possessions more than we trust Jesus. To trust our possessions, to trust what we have. To really put our trust in our positions more than our, tr- than our trust is in Jesus. Remember uh, Matthew 6.34? We had a look uh, last, um, last week. Therefore I say, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient is today for its own trouble. Remember Jesus said that? Here's the rub. Here's the thing. If your freezer is full of food, you don't really have to worry about what you're going to eat tomorrow. It's not an issue of faith. If you have a roof over your head, you don't have to worry where you're going to sleep. It's not an issue of faith because you know you're already provided for. So it has nothing to do with our faith then. And so we get tempted to, we get tempted to lean into those things and think, and actually we start putting our trust in our possessions, in our house, in our pension, and we're not really trusting anymore in Jesus as our provider. That's the first temptation that we have to learn to overcome in our lives. Second temptation is that we start to see money as being harmless. We start to see money as being harmless. How many times have you not heard this quoted? Um, Money is neutral. It's the love of money that you must be careful of. I've preached that myself. And it's true. 1 Timothy 6.10 says that, that the love of money is the root of all evil. But this is what I've begun to see the longer that I've been alive. When people get come into some money, when they win the lottery, or whether they come into inheritance, or they get a big promotion at work, you know what happens? It affects them. Very few, few people stay the same as they were when they start to make lots of money. You know, we're all tempted to say money is harmless. Well, what does James say about those that have come into a little money? He says, Come now, you have come in, you that have a little money, you rich, weep and howl for the misery that is coming upon you. James doesn't quite see it like we see it. Your riches are corrupt, your clothes are moth eaten, your gold and your silver is corroded. I mean, these are very strong words that James is saying. And I'm going to look at that a little bit later. What he what he means. And the third temptation is this, that people who have money think that when they come into the church, it gives them special rights and privileges that they have money. You see, I think there were some people in this early church that James was writing to who were kind of putting some pressure and saying, you know, if we pull our bucks out of the church, just see how you get on. <laughs> if we just stop giving, it's not, going to be good. it's not going to be good for you. So money can subtly be used as a threat in churches, and I've seen that over the years. People that have money think they automatically have, must have a say in how things are run in the church. 
And in a sense, I can understand that, and I sympathize with that. I really do. Why do I say that? Because often people with money are those in the world that have been successful. They know how to make money. They know how to, to, to uh, handle finances. They're the guys that sit on the boards and the committees, and they have policy decisions that affect multinational companies, and they, they, have, they have influence. And so they come into the church, and they think automatically, because they have that kind of influence outside of the church, they need to be consulted in the church as well. I need to get some special attention. I want to say this. I have met some very wealthy people in my lives. And some of them have been part of the church. And I want to say the ones that are truly, truly godly people, whose money has not got a hold on them, are the ones that have seen this. That outside of Christ, they are naked, they are destitute, and they are poor. Those are the ones that really count for the kingdom. You see, what James is doing here is James is just saying that he's not a respecter of persons. He's, he's trying to encourage, as we've read this book together, he's trying to encourage people, he's trying to say, don't prefer people in the church. Don't give a special seat to a rich man. We are equals before the cross. And so he's just reiterating that point again. It's, he's saying, he's saying, it's like I said it before. He's using Old Testament language. This is strong language. This is the tone that Amos or Malachi, if you read those Old Testament prophets, this is the kind of tone that they spoke to the people of Israel. And he's reminding them. He's saying, actually, those people that are Christians that have some standing in society, those people that are in the church that have some money are rare people. Paul said it. 1 Corinthians one twenty six. Consider your calling, my brothers. Paul says to the Corinthians church, consider your calling. Not many of you were wise. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were noble. Not many of you had all those credentials. He's saying those kind of people in the church are rare. So I'm saying, if you have money and you were saved... You are doubly blessed. You are. I am. We have been doubly blessed. Because the gospel is primarily good news to the poor. And yet we've been saved by the gospel and we are also wealthy. We are incredibly blessed. You see, unfortunately, that's not how these early Christians were thinking. These people that James is writing to, they were saying, we are so lucky. There's some rich people that have joined the church. And they started giving, them, giving those people privilege. And James was saying, you've got it upside down. We should be grateful that anyone is saved at all. That's the mercy of God. And so they had got themselves into weird thinking. And so James is trying to correct them. And he corrects them like an Old Testament prophet. And he says, weep, shed tears, lament, change, see things from God's perspective. He wants to bring clear thinking. And I, I, I'm convinced that most of the church doesn't have the courage to speak to the rich like James did. Most pastors don't have the courage to speak to the rich like James did, or like the book of Revelation does. Why? Because they're scared that if they speak the truth, people won't give, and people will question their motives, and, and then they'll be without an income. I know, this is how, this is the, this. I was talking with Carl Tuttle about church, church politics. Church politics! Oh! 
He led a church of four, five thousand people, and you know how much politics is in a church like that? Should be enough to put anyone off ministry. But anyway, you know what Revelation 6 says? Verse 15. The Bible speaks to the rich quite strongly. It says, The kings of the earth, and the great ones, and the generals, and the rich, and the powerful, and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and amongst the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne from the wrath of the Lamb. It's the same for everybody. Same for everybody. Rich, free, wealthy, general, everyone. Poor, same for, we are desperately in need of the mercy of God to come to us. No exceptions. And so I believe that we have a message to proclaim as those that preach and live the gospel. Here's the message. It's better to cry a little bit now than it is to cry a whole lot later when you appear before Jesus. (laughs) It's better to put your confidence in heavenly treasure which you might enjoy the fullness of then, than it is to put your confidence in earthly treasure now. It's better to have a little pain and a little struggle now and a very happy day then (laughs) when we appear before Him. And this is really what I'm trying to say is what Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 40. A voice cries out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain and hill made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed. We prayed, a bunch of us prayed before the meeting this morning, what we cried out for. God, this morning, let your glory be revealed in this place. Let your glory come. Let people experience your presence. Not just good preaching, not just good worship, but your presence. That's what we desire most of all is your presence, Jesus. And there's another temptation, the last one that I'd like to speak about. For all of us that are rich. And it's simply that we're not really too interested in heaven. We're simply not really interested in heaven all that much because, quite frankly, things are not too bad down here. (laughs) We have a nice house. We can go on holiday. We can go out for a meal. We've got security. Why should we be interested in heaven? You see, it's when you have little materially, when you have little materially, You get desperate and then you start looking upwards to God. One of the most challenging moments I had um, in my own life was when I was with Michael Eaton in Nairobi. And we were visiting this, it is the largest slum in in the world outside Nairobi. It's just destitute, destitute people. And I was moved. I I thought, I said, Michael, how can we help? I mean, what can we do? You know, I felt stirred by God and he said, he said an amazing thing. He said, you might be able to send some money. But he said, you can learn from these people about faith, and you can learn from these people about love, and you can learn from these people about worship. He was right. See, some of the poorest people are those that are richest in faith. 
richest in joy, richest in... And of course, we're compelled by the gospel to help alleviate the circumstances, absolutely. But we can be arrogant sometimes, thinking that we, the Savior, is coming with our money. And yet there's riches that we know nothing of. I don't know if you knew this, but this last week was the, um, the 50th anniversary of the Beatles' first album. And so I was listening to Radio 2, and they, they had all these artists in that were recording a live album in Abbey Road. Joel, of, um, of the, they were replicating the first Beatles album. And you know one of their first hits was what? Can't Buy Me Love. Well, I want to say to you, money's not going to buy you happiness either. It's not going to buy you happiness. That's what James is shouting at us in these verses. He's trying to get our attention. He's trying to get you and I to see that money is not a harmless thing. Money transforms you. Money eats you up, and suddenly you are a different person because you've come into money. That's why Paul says this. He says the same thing in 1 Timothy 6. If we have food and clothing, listen to Paul. If we have food and clothing, with these things we will be content. Godliness with with contentment is of great gain, Paul says in another place. And then he goes on to say, he says, those who desire to be rich, those who've got this unending desire for more, for more, for more, regardless of what they have, he says this, they fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. What is Paul saying? He's saying if you, if you let that desire for more control you, it is going to destroy you. Learn to be content. You and I learn to be content with what we have. And he carries on. He says, For the love of money is a root of all kind of evil, and it's through this craving. Listen to the language. It's through this craving, this desire, this continual lust for more things. More, 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 more. He says that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. I've been involved in church leadership now for, since I was, full-time since I was 28, 20 years. Over the years, I have seen many people get saved, we have prayed for people to get jobs, and they've got jobs, and we've prayed people to get better jobs so they can provide well for their families, and you know what happens? When they get good jobs, and they're suddenly not desperate for God anymore, you know what happens? They are out the door, into the wilderness, because what do they really just care about? Their material possessions now. They want God for what He can give them, not God for God Himself. I've seen so many people over the years. I don't say that to judge anyone. I just say that's the way it is. Unless this thing is put to death in our hearts, that's what it is. That's what it ends up as. And so James is saying this, live a contented life. Be happy with what you have. And if you get a little bit more, it's not going to make you more happy. It might make you more comfortable for a while, but it's not going to make you more happy. I have an incredible testimony to share with you, but I can't share it right now but our God has provided for our family. And I hope I can tell you in a couple of months' time when all the details are there. It's an amazing thing. I'll just say this to you. We were, we were um, in, on a Sunday night, we were lying in our beds, and I was complaining to Helen about our own financial situation. And she said to me, Aunt, 
I don't know, were you reading? She was reading the scripture. She said, God says to us, ask me where the fish are. Uh, what? Ask me where the fish are. You know the story when they needed to pay their tax and Jesus said to the disciples, don't worry about it, but go and you'll catch a fish and in the fish will be a gold coin. It'll be enough to pay your taxes. They go and they cast out and uh, they get the fish and there's the gold coin, enough for all their finances. Well, we've, we asked God. We said, God, give us a fish. Where's the fish? You know where the fish are. Provide for us. We need a fish right now. Well, I went down on Monday morning to my computer. There was an email from my brother who's a lawyer. And I'll tell you the rest when the rest comes. But it's, it's amazing. God is amazing. He can do anything. <laughs> and we don't even know where the fish are. God knows where the fish are. You ask him for the fish in your life. And you see, this is why James says, he says, your riches are corrupt and your garments are moth-eaten. What he's trying to say to them is this, look at what you thought your money could do for you. It hasn't done that for you. You are still wanting more. So you have clothes, but now you want more clothes. You have great food, but you want more food. They're saying, learn to be content. Learn to be happy. And you see, he's saying that these Christians have become worldly. And uh, they'd started to rob God. They'd, they'd, robbed, they'd robbed the gospel of the power of evangelism. Because what they were trying to say is, the, uh, the gospel is an indiscriminate offer to all people that all can be saved. But what they were saying is, well, actually, we'd prefer it if God saved the rich. Because we like the rich. That's what they were saying. So they, they'd robbed the gospel. And then he goes on to say, if you read the portion, he says, and you have, you have robbed your employees. You've not paid a fair wage. And James is angry. He says, don't do that. You pay a fair wage. You know what it sounds like to me? It sounds like Malachi, which RT shared with us a couple of weeks ago. Because if you have a look at Malachi chapter 3, verse 5, he starts by addressing the people. He says, this is your problem. And I'll read it to you. Malachi says in verse 5, I, I will be a swift witness against sorcerers, against adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in their wages. Malachi is mad. He's saying to the people of Israel, God's people, you have ripped other people off. You have not paid them a fair wage. And God is angry with you. And he carries on. The widow and the fatherless against those who, who, who uh, thrust aside the wanderer and do not fear me. He's mad, Malachi. And then he doesn't stop there. Then he goes on, and this is the verse that, that Artie looked at, and he said, Will a man also rob God? And he talks about the fact that we should be giving tithes. And why does, why does Malachi have the right to say that? Well, Malachi has realized the same thing that James has realized. When Christians are backslidden, they are backslidden in every area of their life. And so a backslidden Christian has no qualms to rip off an employee and not pay a fair, pay a fair wage. And James says the same thing. He says, if you are backslidden, you fight with each other, you are angry with each other, you gossip, you prefer the rich over the poor, and he's saying the same thing, and you are so backslidden that you, you don't even consider that God to give to God's kingdom. You don't even, so it doesn't, the thought doesn't even enter your head. That's what he's saying. 
It's the last thing on these people's minds. And so I've, I've had you know, these conversations of, with people, oh, I want the faith of Abraham. Man, I just want to walk by faith like Abraham walked. Well, I want to ask a question. Do you want to give like Abraham did? When no one told him, just because he loved Jesus, just because he loved God, he gave. Well, I want to, and I want to be like Jacob. I want to wrestle with God and, and not let him go until he's blessed me. I, I want to just, I want to be that kind of person. Well, I want to ask, do you want to be that kind of person? Do you want to be the person Jacob gave without anyone telling him to? Just because he loved Jesus. And you might say, well, I'm not convinced of this thing of giving and tithing. Well, then I want to encourage you, go and, um, Listen to RT's message from a couple of weeks ago and let, let God convince you. Because I can't convince you. Only the Word can convince you. But I, I do want to ask you some questions. I've been thinking about this thing because I've had this thing put on me that I can't preach giving because it's, it brings people under the law. I can't preach tithing because it brings people under the law. I thought of this this week. Did adultery become a sin after Moses wrote it down on the tablets? Or before Moses even thought of writing it down? Did murder become a sin only after Moses wrote it on the tablets and said, do not murder? Or do you think it was ready in God's heart for his people before the law was ever written down? You see, all the law ever did, and the, the law is in parenthesis, we know that. The law is done away with now because of Christ. But all the law ever did was to legalize a standard of righteousness that was already in God's heart, sanctioned in his heart long before. That's all the law did. And I want to say to you, as this church grows, we have to trust God that more and more people are going to come into this revelation, that God, that's how his church is going to grow. So I wanted to ask you some questions this morning. What potential, what unlocked potential would this church be able to fulfill if everyone were happy, cheerful seekers of God's presence? <laughs> Every time we got together, that's all we wanted was to experience the presence of God, His tangible presence. All we wanted more than anything in all of our hearts is to see people saved, is to see people healed, it's to see people deliver. That's what we, that, that is our motivation for getting together. Not just having fellowship with each other, as good as that is. Not drinking great coffee, and we try and give you great coffee. But God, I just want your presence. I just want to be with your people. I want you. What, un, what, what would be unlocked in this church if we came every Sunday with that desire in our hearts? God, all we want is you. What if every single person in this church were happy, generous prayers and ministers. <laughs> what power would be released if all of us in our closet were praying? If every time we got together, if, if when we got together at 9.30 in the morning to pray, we were all here just saying, God, we're going to pray today for your kingdom to come down. And we're praying for families and, and we just, what power would be released? What anointing? What if this church were filled with happy, cheerful, generous welcomers? I tell you what would happen. Every lonely heart, every broken person would find a home here because they would feel welcome. That's what would happen. <laughs> so what if this church were full of happy, cheerful tithers? 
not people debating, not getting all smart about what the Bible says, just believing God. Just saying, Jesus, I trust you that the 90% I live on will go as far as the 100% I could have lived on. I'm trusting you. And you see what James is trying to say is that their attitude to money and their attitude to their wealth has not put them in a better position in their lives. It's like that picture RT used a couple of weeks ago. You won't be in a better position while your hands are still bound like this, clasped and bound by rubber bands. The only person that can help you and do this to your hands and cut those bonds is the Holy Spirit. And only come by revelation in your heart. And I do say this, until that day happens, you will remain impoverished in generosity. So I want to say this, and I trust I'm saying this as lovingly as possible. I'm trying to be loving, and I'm trying to say this. There is the common grace of God. We all experience God's blessing. The scripture does say that God makes the rain fall on the righteous and the unrighteous. There's common grace for everyone. What I'm saying to you is this. At the same time, there's a blessing that comes from obedience. When we obey God, He does bless us. (laughs) So I'm talking about both. I'm saying let's enjoy the common grace that God lavishes on all people, but let's be joyful and happy, obedient people so we can experience the grace of God. You know, all of us know what financial pressure is like when it feels like there's just not enough to go around. All of us have been in that place. It's real. I understand it. I sympathize with it. I know, I know what it's like. But I want to remind you, as I remind myself, Matthew 6.25, Therefore I tell you, don't be anxious about your life. Don't be anxious about what you're going to eat, what you drink, nor about your body. Is life not more than food? and the body more than clothing. I say that confidently. You know why? Because you've been bought by the blood of Jesus. And because you've been bought by the blood of Jesus, he's going to take care of you as a son. See, the uncomfortable thing about this book, James, (laughs) and about the gospel, really, about reading the Bible, let's be honest, the uncomfortable thing about reading the Bible is that it addresses every area of your life. It addresses every area of your life. It addresses the whole person, spiritually, physically, materially. And James, this book we've read, it it deals with your lust, your tongue, your security, where your security is, all that stuff. It's not comfortable. (laughs) The the, the gospel is is not comfortable. And so, I conclude with this. How, how, How important are treasures in heaven to you and I? One day in heaven we're going to stand before God and we're not going to be judged. There's no condemnation for those in Christ. But we will receive our inheritance. He will say, well done, good and faithful servant. And we will receive a reward in heaven. And I think perhaps we'll discover that there are things that we thought mattered so much here on earth that actually matter very little in heaven. But we can enjoy something of our inheritance here on earth. But it does take effort and discipline that we begin to sow and walk by the Spirit and not by the flesh. You see, Jesus said it was hard for rich people to enter the kingdom of God, but he did not say it was impossible. It's not impossible. I've got a, f- a good friend who, um, he, some of you might know Durban in South Africa. He had a church there, and uh, they used to baptize people in the, in the ocean. 
and people got saved. And uh, he noticed one thing. Whenever they were baptized people, people would come, they'd be in their costume, they'd take off their watch, take their car keys, take their wallet, put those three things down, and then they would go and get baptized. And he felt God speak to him. He said, well, you know, that's what it means to be baptized. I want your time. You take the watch off. God, I'm giving you my time. Everything. You have my life. I'm giving you my time. God, you have my possessions. My car, my house, everything. You have it. God, you have my wallet. Everything. I want to say to you as a friend that happiness comes, financial security comes, and happiness comes as we begin to find God's ways in our life. And that's what Moses said more than anything else. Lord, show me your ways. Show me how to live. When we start finding the ways of God by the power of the Holy Spirit, we start to find happiness, we start to find security, we start to find joy, real, real joy. And so, how much blessing will be poured out because we've determined to take his ways and let them transform our hearts and we're determined to live by his ways. And who knows what God could do through this church. I'm just thrilled. It's an increasingly joyful, happy place. I'm just thrilled with what God has done. But who knows what more God could do through every single one of us if we just start to take these things to heart right now. Joyful prayers, joyful worshipers, joyful welcomers, generous in ministry, generous in giving, generous in our time, generous with our houses. What could God do? Amen?